0: If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy.
1: Well, we're continuing our series of talks that we're calling King in a Kingdom. And we learned last week that really being a Christ follower is just acknowledging that he's the king, just acknowledging his lordship over us and following him in obedience. And that's a different sort of life than the way our culture tells us to live. It's a better sort of life, but it's different. There's, there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's mercy and there's freedom and all of that, but there's also the call to obey Jesus as Lord, right? Last week we said you have to choose a king and that king is Jesus. And I love this series because you may not realize this, but this was really the foundation of all that Jesus' ministry was about. It was about the kingdom. You see this all throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 4, Matthew's summarizing what his ministry is all about. And he says, And he went through all, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus' ministry was him saying, Hey, the king's here, and there's a kingdom that you can enter into. In fact, after he died and rose again and only had 30 days with his followers, that was still the theme of what he spoke about. It says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. So everywhere he went, he was proclaiming and talking about and inviting people into. The kingdom, life inside the kingdom. In fact, he actually commands us, his disciples, to proclaim that as well. It says in Matthew 10, and he's talking to his disciples, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this kingdom thing, it was Jesus's message, and it's our message as well. And the reason that Jesus talked about this so much and the reason that he commanded us to talk about it so much is because that, that type of life, life in the kingdom, that's what you and I were created for. It's worth the obedience. It's worth picking up your cross. It's, it's worth following his lordship. In fact, one of the shortest parables is in Matthew 13 where he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found, uh, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's worth picking up our cross. It's worth the obedience. It's it's worth walking away from certain things and giving up certain things because what we get back in return is so much more. And the cool thing is that by the way that Jesus lived his life here on earth, we can see how citizens of this kingdom should live. See, Jesus was the perfect example of a citizen of this kingdom. He obeyed his father. And by the way that he lived, we can get clues for how we're supposed to live in this kingdom as well. And one of the first things that you'll notice about Jesus, pick up any gospel and read it, is the way that he connected with other people. He wasn't a loner, was he? He didn't like hang out in like an ivory tower and prepare these talks and just come out when he had to preach and then go back away. No, no, no He was always around people. In fact, it was noticeable when he wasn't, because he had to break from him for his sanity like a few times, and the Gospels wrote about it. But he, he was always in the midst of a crowd. He was intentionally connecting with the disconnected. It's like he was a heat-seeking missile for the lonely and the isolated, I started to make a list of all the times that Jesus got turned off track because he noticed someone that was disconnected and moved towards them. And I had to stop making a list because that's all we would do today. But Matthew 8, it says, When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. And he went up to her and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. He noticed her and moved towards her. And, and invited her into the kingdom, and she began to serve him. There was another time where a lady was sick, and because of that sickness, she was ostracized. She was an outcast in society. And she, she, she works up the bravery to make it inside a city just so she can touch the hem of Jesus' garment one day. And it says this, Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And you see this all throughout the Gospels. This is the heart of Jesus, Matthew 9. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the Gospel of, what? of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. His heart was moved towards them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful But the laborers are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus saw people that no one else saw. He noticed people that went unnoticed, that went under the radar. And these were people that were experiencing depression, that were experiencing confusion, that were experiencing discrimination and judgment, that were living these just really, really dark lives, these dark unseen lives. People like a lot of us listening right now. Kind of like I was before I met Jesus. And when Jesus locks eyes with them and moves towards them and connects with them, he's, it's like he's inviting them to step out of that darkness and into his kingdom. It's like he sees all these people drowning in the sea of darkness, and he just extends his hand and invites them to, to come into the light. In fact, that's how Paul the Apostle describes what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me. Colossians 1.13, famous verse. He has delivered us from what? From the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's like darkness, that's where we were born. That's where we would have stayed without Jesus, where you can't see anything, where you don't feel like anyone can see you. And Jesus redeemed us. He rescued us. He liberated us from that and pulled us into his kingdom. He noticed you. He saw you. He moved forward uh, towards you. And he took you by the hand, connected with you, and changed your life, right? It's that connection with Jesus that made all the difference. Raise your hand if your life has been transformed by that connection to Jesus. Yeah, it's a lot of us. But here's what I want to camp out on, and here's what the Bible points out. It's that intentional connection with Jesus that changes your life. But it's that ongoing connection with Jesus and other believers that continues to change your life. It's that connection with Jesus and your brothers and sisters that continues that transformation that allows you to to walk in the newness of life. It's like the moment you come out of that darkness and your eyes kind of adjust to the light. The first thing you see, of course, is the beautiful face of your Savior, Jesus. But then the next thing you notice is all these other men, women, that have been in darkness themselves. And they've come out. And now they're like your partner, your guide to take you by the hand and help you walk in this new kingdom sort of life. And hear me, this is so important because in the battle that's going on around us right now, the battle that we talked about last week where human trafficking is flourishing and marriages are crumbling and and families are falling apart, one of the main strategies of our enemies is to get Christians to disconnect from each other. We're actually going to do a whole series about this in about four weeks, but I don't think it's an accident that the amount of damage that Satan is doing our world is at an all-time high, is at the exact same moment that so many people are deconstructing and leaving their faith and leaving that type of Christian community. And it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to just look around and see how effective our enemy has been at doing this. We, we live in a disconnected sort of world. I mean, I think COVID really helped usher it in a little bit quicker. But if you think about it, like churches for six months or for some a few years were legally not allowed to connect face to face with one another. Isn't that crazy? And the effects are still with us. I'll still talk with people and say, hey, I just kind of got used to watching online and, I just think it's the best way to do church. And I just want to say as a brother in Christ, no, it's not. It's not, Unless you can get sick easy or you're going to pass something to us, it's not the best way that God intended. It's that face-to-face. And if you're watching online right now, we're so glad that you're watching. But would you find a local church near you where you can intentionally and regularly just just, just touch base with other believers? The Bible says it's so important. But it's not just Christians. It's our whole entire culture. Sociologists have said that this is one of the most disconnected generations that have ever lived. We've literally set up a society where you can go weeks and even months without a single human interaction. You know that? With online meetings, all of our online banking... You can uh, order groceries now to just be dropped off. You can order food. Where I live, when you order food, a person doesn't even bring it. It's a drone. This is legit. That goes in the sky, drops the bag, leaves the food, and then goes away. Isn't that crazy? And we've created this environment where you just don't have to have any human connection at all. One of my friends was saying he was in the grocery store the other day. And there were like ten self-service lines and two real lines where people would check you out. And the line for the self-service was out the door. And the two people working were like, no, 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 we can check you out. And we're like, no, 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 just avoiding eye contact. We live in this disconnected world, and it's so normal, we don't notice the the consequences right now in the world that we live. 29% of U.S. high school boys and 57% of high school girls say they have a persistent feeling of sadness and hopelessness. 40% of all U.S. adults uh, say that they deal with anxiety or depression. The suicide rate has risen 16% in just the past 10 years. Uh, one in seven men would admit that they don't have a single friend. And I get that, it's hard. One of my friends says, uh, What's Jesus' biggest miracle? It's not him walking on water, it's having 12 close friends in your 30s. And it's true. <laughs> like as you get older, it's harder to make friends. And people are desperate for this connection. There's an influencer named Karen Marjorie. She's 23. She's a TikTok influencer. And she's created Karen AI, which is an um, AI avatar uh, that offers virtual companionship for $1 a minute. And see, just, she just put this service out. She already has 15,000 virtual boyfriends. She expects to make $5 million a month. And you entrepreneurs, no, 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 don't do that, okay? That's spreading the kingdom of darkness, not light. And this loneliness is literally killing us. Okay, don't smoke, that's my PSA. But doctors have found that someone who smokes 15 cigarettes a day and has friends lives dramatically longer than someone who's never smoked their entire life but doesn't have any close relationships. That's how devastating loneliness can be. See, we've chosen to go along with the enemy's strategies the enemy wants us to be disconnected. We say, that's fine, that's fine. We'll just follow the status quo. But we need to wake up and realize that the way of Jesus is radically different. And I had kind of a personal wake-up call about this a few months ago, which I'll share in a second. But part of that wake-up call that came from the book of 1 John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And the verses I'm about to read, they're going to seem weird. They're going to seem extreme. Uh, Some of the verses are even going to seem radical. But the fact that John's words that we're going to read about connection seem so crazy, I think just proves how normalized disconnection has become. Uh, This is John who wrote the Gospel of John. He's about 70, 80 years old. He's nearing the end of his life. Look at what he writes to open the book. It says, That which was from the beginning, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning The word of life. He's talking about Jesus. And the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that... Stop. Don't read ahead. What do you think he's going to write next? John's saying, hey, you know this whole son of God person that we read about in the Old Testament? He's real, and he came down in the flesh. And I touched them and hung out with them and heard them and saw them and learned from them for three years. And my life was forever changed. And for the past 50 or 60 years, I've just been proclaiming to as many people the news about Jesus so that, for the goal of, for the purpose of, so that you too may have fellowship with us. That's weird. John, you mean to tell me that you go around for the past 60 years telling all these people about Jesus so that they can be connected with other believers? Well, that's what it says. It's not the only reason. He lists a few more. But notice that's what he starts with. He says there's a few other. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So he also does this to connect people to God and to Jesus. But I don't know about you. That's what I would have started with. In Greek, the language that this is written, you can actually mix up all the words in any order you want. Not any order, but most order. And it doesn't change the meaning. And uh, usually put the part that you want to emphasize up front. And so this is intentional. He's doing this on purpose. He says this in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Isn't that cool? That's John's definition of a joyful life. No mention of money or material possessions or acclaim or fame. Just connection with Jesus and connection with other believers. And just in case you think I'm lying or like make, making a mountain out of a molehill, he does this in the very next verse, verse five. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we tell the truth and do not lie. No, no, no. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Is that incredible? Not once, but twice, He's put in connection with other believers before connection with Jesus. Now, He's not making a theological point. Obviously, connection with Jesus is the most important. You can't be connected with other believers, and really, koinonia is the word for fellowship. You can't have fellowship with them without having fellowship with Jesus. But I man, I just think John's seventy or eighty. And he's looking back at his life, and he's looking back at his ministry. He's probably seen lots of people fall away from Jesus. He writes about this a lot in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he's just realizing how incredibly, exceedingly important connection with other believers are. And it's not just here. He goes on and on about this. He says in 1st John 3, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. He says, one of the proofs that you know that you've taken Jesus by the hand and are following him as king is that you love Jesus and you love others. That's how he breaks down the Christian life. You love Jesus? Good. You connect with other believers? Good. You're probably in the light. You're probably a follower of Jesus. And in case you think I'm misinterpreting it, look at 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because what? Because we love the brothers. No one talks like this in this day and age. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, because you know the gospel, because you have correct theology, because you do really good things and don't do bad things. John would say, okay, but if you're not connected with Jesus, and if you're not connected with other brothers and sisters, if you're not loving others— then you might as well not have any of those things. That's the difference between a Christ follower and a non-Christ follower. Are you connected to Jesus and are you connected with others? And then he says something really powerful to me in chapter 4. He says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John's like a poet, not like a preacher. So you have to stew on his words. But he's saying, hey, I know I got to see Jesus, but even I didn't get to see the Father. But when we love each other the way that Jesus loved us, when we connect with one another in that fellowship, we somehow make an invisible God visible. And that just hit hard because um, I think some of you know, not all of you do. I'm not, I'm not retiring. am not freak out. Um, but it was probably a year, a year and a half ago, I went into a really dark season in my life. And it's nothing compared to what a lot of you have been through. But I was actually on this stage by this table um, last summer, last spring. I don't really know the dates. And I was preaching. I was about five minutes into a sermon. And my heart started to beat real quick. And it got hard to breathe a little bit. And I was like, well, this is weird. Maybe just too much coffee. And then my heart really started to beat. And I really couldn't catch my breath. And my vision started to blur, kind of tunnel vision. And I lost feeling in my face and then my hands and then my feet and my legs. And I'm like, this is not good. But I'm only 10 minutes into the sermon, so I can't leave. So I run off there, side stage, and I grab a chair and I sit down. I just grab the table for dear life and uh, breathe as much as I can and and just read my sermon um, from start to finish. And I had no idea what was going on. I left and was like, hey, I don't think I can preach the next service. Just play the video and went home. Didn't think much of it. I come uh, to work, and then um, that Friday I come in early. Um, we don't work on Friday. A lot of us don't, pastors. And uh, I had a doctor's appointment to help figure it out. And all those symptoms came back like a hundred times more. And I had this thought: I'm going to die. And uh, it's because my dad had a heart attack, has had one heart attack and a few other heart issues. And I was all alone in the office. There was no one here. You can probably go back and see the security footage of me running from office to office to office. And my thought was like, well. At least they won't have to move the body for the funeral. Like, I'm just going (laughs) to die here. And so I run downstairs, and luckily, Chris Strait, God bless you, um, one of our IT guys, he's like, "You you okay? And I'm like, No, I'm dying. Take me to the hospital. So he took me to the ER. By the way, if you ever want to get first in line in the ER, just say you're having a heart attack. And they took me right back, and they hooked me up to all these things. And after five or ten minutes, my breathing kind of settled. I caught my breath. My my heart stopped hurting. And they said, No, it's just... um, just a panic attack. So your heart's fine. It's healthy. You're just suffering from a panic attack. And we see this all the time. And uh, that started the process of a year, year and a half of a pretty bad anxiety disorder. And it just got worse and worse. And so it would happen like every week, then twice a week, then every day um, to different degrees. And um, I would go away for a few days and then come back. And I would try medicine and it would come back. And the weird thing is um, when you have your first panic attack i 've been told this that your brain takes a snapshot of the environment in which it happened, and that 's the no go zone and so unfortunately, it was a stage in front of people, and that 's my job and so uh, for weeks and months, I would drive into the church and my heart would start pounding and then i 'd hear that that um, the countdown music "Oh," and my, my head would go, "Oh no." And the, the bass would start and the worship music, like loud worship music, made me freak out and start sweating. And it was the first time in my life I kind of felt like, like debilitated. Uh, something was happening that I couldn't do anything about it. And I was pretty helpless. And I've never been there. And I know a lot of you have been there. Maybe you're there right now and you've experienced this to a worse degree than I did. Um, and it was a pretty dark time. And I didn't know it, but part of my instinct was just to detach and disconnect from other people and to isolate. Because I couldn't be around crowds for a long time, and then I couldn't be around small groups of people. And then it was really hard just to be around one or two people. And so I would come in early in the morning and kind of sneak into my office and close the door and do my work and emails. And and then leave, sneak out and get in my car and kind of go home. And um, partly because I was afraid that the anxiety would act up and I didn't want to have that in front of people, but partly because I didn't want to make other people feel weird. Like, a lot of people don't know how to handle that, and I didn't want, yeah, I just didn't want that awkwardness. Um, And uh, I mentioned this um, a few times in a sermon, and immediately after I had that panic attack, so many of you reached out. So thank you for that. I got so many kind emails and text messages, and here's what worked for me, or here's how I beat it, or I'm still here, but here's how I do it, and here's the medicine that works for me, and, Uh, For the five or ten of you that sent a specific medicine, I just want to let you know that as a pastor in North Carolina, I can't ingest the amount of marijuana that apparently works for you guys (laughs) at this point in time. (laughs) Very common uh, email I got. You can take me to a conference in Denver, and we'll see. But (laughs) kidding, I would not do that. (laughs) But there were also people I could tell that weren't comfortable with it. And I get it. Like I had to preach a sermon on anxiety two years ago and I had to do so much research. I'm like, what's the big deal? Why why are you having a panic attack? And so there are people that kind of felt uncomfortable by it. And I understand that. And so some of them were just like, hey, you know, I don't know how to help you, but I see you're kind of disconnecting. You just kind of go be by yourself and do what you need to do. And when you're ready, just come back out. And now that I'm on the other end of it, which I am, and I don't know if I'm going to go back into it, but it's probably been two, two and a half months, no medicine. I got with an amazing psychiatrist and general practitioner. Yeah, you can clap. So I'm not on any medicine. I haven't had anxiety. Um, Now I say that, watch me go into deep darkness again tomorrow. And that doesn't happen with everyone, so I'm super lucky. But now that I'm on the other side of it, I just think back, and I'm like, those people that just kind of let me go my way, and, and you need your space. Honestly, that's the opposite of what I needed. And I didn't even realize that I was isolating myself. There was a a point probably three or four months ago where three separate people in the same week came to me and said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you're detached. Like You're just disconnected from community. And the first person that told me that, I was like, I see that. I see that now. Thank you for telling me. And the second person told me. And I was like, yeah, that's what that person told me. And then the third person told me. I'm like, could you all have told me this like six months ago? For real. But there were a handful of people that I think made all the difference in the world. A handful of brothers and sisters that saw me and refused to ignore me. And they're like, yeah, it's dark in there. We'll just join you there. Now we're not going to leave. And you don't have to be afraid. When you're ready, you can just come back out. And they didn't make me feel like I had to be stronger than I was. They didn't have to make me feel afraid that I was dealing with this. They didn't have to make me feel like the world was ending. They were just there. Like we've dealt with our own stuff. Hey, this is what brothers and sisters in Jesus do. And it was, I, I think I'm on the other side mainly because of these people. People like my wife. And I could give a whole sermon on her. She was so gracious and patient. And every Friday, I know you don't want to go out for our Friday date, but we're going. And we pull up, you take a walk around the block. Till you feel comfortable, then come order. Then get up and take a walk around the block. Uh, my parents are prayer warriors, and they would text and pray every day. My amazing brother-in-law, um, Mike, would take me out and just. And I want to say their names because I'm so thankful for them. It was people like Corey Paxton, who was our who is our young adult minister, who has dealt with this. And the first thing when he heard, he's like, "Hey, let's go out to lunch. I want to pray with you. Here's some books that I've read. Here's here's what's helped me out. There's Jamie McDonald. Who works here on staff? I had another panic attack at Northwest Cary and second service, and it just and it was it was when I thought I was beating it a few months ago, and obviously I hadn't, and it struck back with a vengeance. And I got through it and I went backstage and Jamie came back and he's like, Are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah. And I just started crying. I'm like, why can't I be done with this? And Jamie just gave me the nicest bro hug, you know, and which is funny because Jamie's like eight feet tall and I'm like four feet tall. <laughs> That's what you guys say. You're shorter in person. And so if you looked in Northwest Cary, you'd be like, oh, Jamie's comforting his son. He's such a good father. But it was me. It was me. (laughs) There was Barb at the front desk at Raleigh that greeted me every time. There was Shante, Dwayne, Calvin, campus pastor. Holy cow, that guy. Our offices um, were together. We shared a wall. And every other day, at least, he'd knock. I know this is closed, but I'm coming in. How you doing? I'm doing good. No, you're not. Tell me how you're really doing. And he would sit there and by the end of it, I mean, Dwayne's like my on retainer counselor, I think. And it's because of, of these people. I mean, I, I, I slowly became less and less afraid of taking steps towards the light. And I love how First John puts it in, in chapter 4. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And it's because brothers and sisters in Jesus refused to let me stay disconnected and saw me and moved toward me and grabbed my head and said, I'm here with you, and when you want to start taking steps, we're going to start taking steps together. That's a big reason why I'm, I'm where I'm at. And I just know that I'm not alone. I know that there's people in this room or are watching right now that are in darkness. And it probably feels like you're fighting it all alone. And it might feel like no one sees you. And it might be really hard to even see God in that moment. I know because I've been there. But I want you to know that unlike, unlike everything our enemy is trying to get you to believe, it's using all the strength and power to sell you a lie, you don't have to stay there. And I think one of the most powerful missionary things we can do as Christians in America is just simply providing an environment for people who are disconnected to connect. Just give them opportunities for an invisible king to become a little bit more visible. For people that are in darkness, just to take a few steps out of the light, just to test the waters. And I know a lot of you are already doing this. I know a lot of you are in small groups a men's group or a woman's group if you're in a serve team that you're connected with people and you uh, do life together outside the weekend that's amazing stay in that I guarantee you do not know how life-saving and powerful that group of people is until you need it keep with it we even have people that are willing to leave some of those relationships and start new relationships in Fuquay they're going to help launch that campus and by the way that's why we do it To help people that are in darkness in Fuquay and Anger come and and see the light. People that don't know Jesus. That's why we're raising a million dollars in 60 days, which we've got 50-something more to to raise it. It's not about the money. It's about people that that are trapped in darkness, that are disconnected, that are isolated, and they need someone to show them the way. So if that's you, that's amazing. But I want to talk to two more groups, and we'll be out of here in a few minutes. The first group is those of you that um, aren't in darkness and you seem to be doing pretty good, but you also aren't intentionally connecting with other believers, I just want to encourage you, challenge you, ask you, would you be willing to just step up and lead a small group, a men's group, a women's group, out of obedience to Jesus? Would you be willing to step up and just create an environment? And we'll be with you every step of the way. We'll train you. It's really easy. We'll partner you with a pastor. And just create an environment. Maybe not even in your home, but just an environment where someone who's in the dark could maybe see the light for the first time. So that's the first group. And the second group is for those of you who are in darkness right now and that feel like you're fighting alone, that no one sees you. Would you allow us the privilege of helping connect you with a group of people that might be able to help? Would you just allow us the honor of helping you? Get involved in a men's group or a women's group or a small group or one of our amazing care groups that we have from our phenomenal care ministry. And if you're in one of those two groups, I want you to text CONNECT to the number that you see on the screen. CONNECT to 72989. Just one word, you're going to get back a text. Do you want to lead? Do you want to join? You'll get back a text. You might get sent to our group finder. Don't worry, there's a human being behind all those texts. And we're going to reach out to you in my prayer. My prayer is that the enemy sees what goes on here this weekend. And he's like, well, I've got to work this disconnection strategy somewhere else because it ain't working here. And my prayer is that many, many, many people in darkness get to experience light because we're willing to connect with them and love them the way that Jesus loved us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you came after us. You chased after us when we weren't chasing after you. Thank you that you saw us. That You left heaven. You entered our world. And you brought us into the kingdom. Father, we would love to honor you and praise you by doing the same with our lives. (laughs) May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. Because you did that for us, we would be honored to do that for others. So Father, I pray that you would just create a groundswell of such needed community but you do what only you can do. That's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.